Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Let's jump into what we're talking about today. We are in a series called Christian Atheist, and uh, as you uh, think about that word or those words individually, you seem to know what they are. You know what a Christian is, and you know what an atheist is. If you don't know what one is, let me, let me just tell you what an atheist is. An atheist is somebody who does not believe in God. They don't believe that he exists, and therefore, they live their lives as such. They live their lives in a way that says, I don't believe in God. A Christian atheist is somebody who says, I believe in God, but they live like he doesn't exist. Their lives are virtually the same as that of an atheist, except maybe they go to church. And so that's what we're talking about. Last week, we talked about the Christian atheists, those that believe in God, but don't really know him. Next week, we're going to talk about people that believe in God, but, but don't want to go overboard in their faith. And then the last week, the fourth week, we're going to talk about people that believe in God, but don't want to give him control of their lives. This week, uh, we are going to talk about those that believe in God, but do not fear him. If you believe in God, but you do not fear him. They say that three out of four Americans believe in God today. But if you were to look at their lives, you would not say that three out of four Americans believe in God and fear him, right? You you can't say that that's true. And last week, we talked, and and I titled the talk, Cultural Christianity. Basically, you are a Christian because that's what the culture in your world is like. You go because that's where your parents went. And this week, I want to, I want to title this talk, Customized Christianity. Customized Christianity. Because we believe in God. We take what we want, what we like about what the Bible says, but we reject the rest of it. If it's not convenient for us, if it doesn't line up with our personal views or our political views or anything else, we, we reject it. We don't really fear a holy God. We don't fear him. We believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. And so we customize our Christianity. And I understand this. It's kind of part of our culture, isn't it? When I was a kid, I remember going to restaurants and, um, and ordering my meal. And, 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 you know, you get whatever you ordered, right? It would tell you this is what you get. You got one choice, one kind of food. And then my mind was blown as a little kid when I was introduced to the concept of steakhouses. Steak, anybody remember when steakhouses, maybe it wasn't the boom, but maybe it was just big for me. Places like Ryan's Steakhouse and Ponderosa. All these buffets started popping up around my, my hometown, and we started going. I looked forward to every Sunday when, after church, you know, we were going to go to Ryan's Steakhouse out here on Livingston Avenue. It, now it's, it's a church building, but it was there, and we'd go. And I loved it because they had everything. I didn't have to have just one thing. I didn't have to decide what I wanted. I could walk up and down that buffet bar as many times as I wanted to and decide what I wanted. Now, my mom had rules, and I was what you would call husky as a child, you know? My, my, little, my Wrangler jeans, I always got the husky Wrangler jeans, you know? I don't know why we was buying Wrangler jeans, you know what I'm saying? If I'm husky, get me out of that. All you husky people know what I'm talking about. You don't need Wranglers, and it's a little tight. <laughs> so, my mom, she knew what I was going to eat when I went to the buffet. And she said, now, Aaron... 
you need to learn to eat a salad. There's a whole salad bar there. I mean, there's tons of other stuff. There was fried chicken, there was tacos, and, and there was Italian food. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. There was just a ridiculous amount of food. She said, but before you indulge in any of that, before you get to the ice cream, your second and third helping of it with the cake and the cookies and the sprinkles on top, y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on, don't act like you're not a fatty and haven't been to a buffet before. That's what you do, right? Even you skinny people do the same thing when you go to a buffet. You might put the sprinkles on top of your fried chicken. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they got sprinkles and we like it. It makes it look fancy. You know, we hold our pinkies out when we eat it, right? So <laughs> my mom knew that I was going to dive into all that stuff. So before I was allowed to get into that, she said, Aaron, you got to eat a salad. You, you, can't, you cannot get into the fried chicken and the rest of all the stuff. And I said, all right, I'll get you a salad. So to appease my mother, I got a plate. And I put some lettuce on the plate. And the lettuce always had like the radish slivers in it and the, the little bits of carrot, you know. It wasn't too much. And then I proceeded to make my salad look more like a pizza than it was a salad. Because I found the pepperoni. See, I got a fan right here. You find some pepperoni and you just pile it on there till you can't even see anything that's green anymore. You know? And then you found the bacon bits. And you might as well just put strips of bacon on it at that point. Because I was just piling high. And then the cheese and the croutons. We basically got a pizza with lettuce. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of already pre-cut and chewed for me a little bit. So anyway, so I would, this, this was my salad. And this is what I would eat. I don't ever put dressing on a salad. I like my salads completely dry. But this, this is what I did. And as you walk down this, the buffet, if you didn't like something, because they had the cucumbers and they had all the rest of the stuff there. My mom loved fried okra. Man, they had fried okra on that salad bar. Pass that right by. I don't want that. Nothing else. I didn't want nothing else on that salad bar. That was it. Eggs, nothing. With a salad bar, you get to pick and choose what you want. It's customized for you, and I loved it. And nowadays, everything is kind of customized in the same way, isn't it? Everything is. You can customize your shoes. You can customize your phone case if you want to. You can customize your T-shirts. You no longer have to buy off the rack. If you want to get a picture of a kitten riding a rocket ship with a rainbow coming from, you know, from behind it, you can make that on a computer, send that to somebody, and they'll print you a one-of-a-kind T-shirt. You can have it custom. You can go to Chipotle. No burrito is created equal there. <laughs> Think about it. Think about all these restaurants that are exploding everywhere. It's all custom. We start with this, and then you go down the line, and you pick and choose what you want. It's all custom. Everything is customized. Even Starbucks, everything is customized. Your coffee, I want it extra hot. I want no, no whip. I want non-fat. I want it extra fat. I want it like, you know, I want it delicious. You can get it any way you want. In fact, the way that they advertise to us, right? Your way, right away. Who is that? What at? Your, is it your way? Have it your way. Have it your way. Sorry. Burger King. We know that one. How about uh, no rules just right? Outback. It's Outback Steakhouse. No rules just right. They advertise to us based on this idea that we can customize everything. You can go to Wendy's down here on, Ma on Main Street, and when you go in, they have this Coke freestyle thing. Have y'all seen this? You can have not just a Diet Coke. You can have a Diet Coke with vanilla, raspberry, or whatever. They have hundreds of flavors all out of the same spigot. I don't even know how it happens. It's magic. <laughs> I prefer a Seagram's ginger ale with raspberry. It's so good. It, you can have it any way you want it. And we like that. We're a customized culture, aren't we? We want everything the way that we want it. Do you know that even today, that when you're surfing the internet, the ads that you see on the internet are customized to you? 
Based on what you've searched for before is what they will show you today. Scroll down Facebook. If you're seeing a bunch of pictures of naked ladies on the side, you probably need to change your browsing habits. <laughs> but on Facebook, they'll show you some of the things you've previously looked at and things that you might like based on that. It's all customized. We like everything today customized. And because of that, when it comes to God and when it comes to our Christianity, we want it customized. We want everything the way that we want it. See, God created us in his image, and so we return the favor by creating him in ours. We like a custom God. You can sit down and talk with any believer that you want to, and across the board, everybody will have different beliefs about God that aren't based on scripture at all. And when you go, but what about this? They say, well, I don't really like that part. That's the part that maybe doesn't apply to me. That's the part that, that is just old, you know? But we treat God this way. We want his love, but not his wrath. We want his mercy, but not his judgment. We want his blessing, but no, we don't want to take up our cross and follow him because that doesn't sound very comfortable. We want to customize Christianity. We want to say, hey, I love the good parts of the Bible, but there's these other parts that don't match my views. We love his plans to prosper me and bless me, but we don't like the parts about sexual purity. We like the, 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 the thing where he says that, that all things work to the good of those who love and serve him. But we don't want to manage our resources well and be generous with them. We want to keep all of our money to ourselves. We love, we love that, that the verse says that God will bless you going in and bless you going out. But my weekends, they're all mine. Don't ask me to go to church or be committed to be a part of a community of believers where we're growing and becoming more like Christ together. We like all the fancy parts. The parts that we like, we keep. The rest we throw away. It's customized Christianity. And as a result of this customized Christianity, we, we are demonstrating that we believe in God, but we don't fear him. And King David, in writing about the sinfulness of man, which, you know, when we start talking about the sinfulness of man, if you're new to this whole thing, let me help you understand sin. It just simply means missing God's best for your life because he has an outline for what's best for you and when you do something that is contrary to that or not it, the Bible calls it sin. So don't get all hung up on how mean and vicious that word is. It's just missing God's best for you. And David, in talking about the sinfulness of man, how bent we are on doing opposite of what God's best is for us, he says this in the song. He says, uh, in, verse, in chapter 36, 1 and 2, he said, sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God to restrain them. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Sin whispers, says things to them. It's drawing them. It's enticing them. It whispers to them deep in their hearts. And because they have no fear of God, they live life without restraint. They hear what God wants them to do, and they're like, ah, why? I don't fear him. I don't need to do what he's asking me to do. No restraint. And in their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. So what does sin whisper? Well, sin whispers to us, go ahead. God will forgive you anyway. I mean, it's your body. You can do with it what you want. Like, it feels good, right? So it can't be that wrong. Everyone else is doing it, so why not you? You might as well go ahead and live a little. Hey, it's okay if you go to church, but you don't have to take God that serious. Don't go that overboard in your faith. Sin whispers to us. And we have no fear of God, so we have no restraint on our lives. We give in to those whispers. We follow them. And we go, yeah, you're right. Let's do it. We have no fear of God, and so 
we have no transformation. We have no true change in our lives where we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. In other words, becoming like him. No fear. No change. And in their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. When you read verses like this, you can't just read your Bible. The Bible is meant to be a letter written to you from God. And so as we read our Bible, it's not just pages or words on a page. We have to read it and ask ourselves questions. When we read something like this, it would be good of us to read it and go, is that me? Is this talking about me? Is it talking about us? What if I have no fear of God to restrain me? What if we're blind to our own self-centeredness and we can't see how wicked we really are? What if? And what if we believe in God but don't fear him? We have to ask. Now, I want to say this and acknowledge that when we start talking about the fear of God, that this is a really tricky task. Because when we start talking about the fear of God, what it's going to do is lead to a conversation about obedience to God. And as you hear that, I don't want you to hear legalism, like a bunch of rules. Because years ago, that's how it was, right? When we all went to church, the pastor was screaming and yelling and pounding the podium and saying, talking about fire and brimstone and where the worm never dies and the gnashing of teeth. I don't even know what gnashing of teeth is, if I'm honest. But anyway, I'm like, is this gnashing of teeth? What does that even look like? But the preachers used to yell and scream, repent, or you're going to hell. And that's all they talked about. And they gave you rules and regulations. And as a result of years of this and turning people away from it, we now have churches where you go and they talk about God's love. And they talk about his grace. And Jesus loves you. We even have pastors writing books called Love Wins, where they tell you it doesn't matter how you live your life here on earth. When you get to heaven on that day of the great, great judgment that, that Revelation speaks about, that when you get there, God's going to say, hey, I love you. I'm not sending you to hell. Come on in. They preach this God loves you so much that he's not even going to have, hell's not even a real place. It was a metaphor. And so we hang out in this love and grace thing. The pendulum swings both sides. The, the problem is we've got to find a middle ground. Because Jesus came in grace and truth. There is a part of God that is just and holy and righteous there is a part of him that we have to acknowledge that says, we get it. You're wiser than us. Your plans are not my plans. Your ways are not my ways. You are way beyond me. Your power is greater than mine. I'm not God. You're it. And we can acknowledge that over here on this side and say that your ways are best. But on the other side, we can also understand that when we, we come short, that God's love and grace is available for us, that he does love you. That he, he cares about you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You can never be separated from the love of God. So while we, we talk about this, I realize there's a tension here. That we need to fall somewhere in the center on when we talk about the fear of God. Because we need to understand God's love. But we need to live in a reverent fear of God as well. So how do we find that balance? Well, we understand God's love, right? We understand that, that he loved us, and that's why we love him. I, we get that. But what does reverent fear look like? I'm going to give you this. It, if you're taking notes today, this is a very simple equation for what the fear of God looks like. It's really easy. You ready? Love plus respect equals fear. 
Love plus respect equals fear. Let me break it down to you this way. Many of you know that for years I've, I've practiced sleight of hand card magic, and this has, been my, this has been my passion since I was 16, so for 22 years. Is that right? I'm 38. Yes? Okay, yeah. Always forget. <laughs> and 22 years, this has been my passion. And there, I read plenty of books to learn and, to, and videos that I watched. You know, this was before YouTube was all the craze and you could find everything you wanted to there. And I, and I grew and learned a lot that way. But man, when a mentor came into my life, that changed everything. And I had one such mentor that was kind of, um, well, he was, he was kind of Godfather-esque. In fact, he had a crew of people around his inner circle that he called the Magic Mafia. And uh, yeah, I'm a total nerd. I know it. I get it. And, and he created words like card star and this guy, this guy was awesome. And once you met him, you, you would come to love him. His name was Lee Asher. It still is Lee Asher. He's not like pastor or anything. <laughs> He's an awesome guy. And, uh, and, and when you see him perform, you love him. He's generous. He has a big heart. He's somebody that once you've met this guy, you're like, man, I love this guy, Right? He's a cool guy. And then when you start talking to Lee, Lee is somebody who commanded respect. Now, you understand the difference between commanding respect and demanding respect. Demanding is a, you need to respect my authority kind of thing. Telling them, right? That is demanding respect. Lee was never that way. Lee commanded respect. He commanded because of his experience, because of his knowledge, because of his social network, how he was connected, he commanded it because he could perform and perform really well. He's somebody that you looked up to and aspired to be like. He commanded respect. And out of this love for who Lee was and out of respect for his authority in the world of magic, not like Harry Potter, but like, you know, card tricks, out of your respect for him, I developed this healthy fear of him. Because Lee would share things with me that he'd say, now don't tell anybody this. This is not something you show the casual performer. You don't need to do that because it's going to wind up on YouTube somewhere. This is how you run your business as a performer. And he would share these things with me. And I developed this healthy fear, this reverent fear of him that I didn't want to lose the relationship. So when he gave me a directive, I, I listened. And there were times that I didn't and I got slapped on the wrist for it. It's the same with God. See, we love God because we find out that God loved us. We find out that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die on the cross for us. That for each of us, that our eternal destination, because of our sin and separation from God, meant hell. And that God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins. We can choose to pay them ourselves in eternity in hell, but we don't have to. God made a way. He loved us so much that he did this. And so discovering that love and hearing about God's love for us, our only rational response to him is to love him in return. So we love God. And then we come to a place where we respect God as we get to know him. Because that's his greatest goal for you is for you to know him. He knows you. He knows you intimately in a way that you don't even know yourself. He knows the hairs that are on your head. Some of you are like, I've only got one or two left, but you know, God knows them. Don't point or look at that person. You know who it is. But God knows you and he wants you to know him back. 
And as you get to know him, you come to trust him. You come to learn that you can trust him. You come to find that he is, his ways are higher than yours. You understand that he is wiser than you. You understand that he sees the big picture. And though sometimes you can't understand the circumstances that you find your life in, he does and he has a plan. You come to respect his authority and his position in this world. The God who created the universe with a word. I respect. And because you love and you respect, it leads you to a fear. A reverent fear of God. But we don't want to serve a God that we're afraid of. We, we don't like that. We want love. I have to encourage you and tell you today that fear is not a bad thing. It's actually the right thing. A healthy, reverent fear of God is the right thing. Look what Proverbs tells us about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. It says in Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you don't even get to start on what is considered wise for your life until you learn the fear of the Lord. Love and respect equals fear. Says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that when you fear God and have a reverent fear for Him in your life, it produces a fountain. Y'all seen fountains before? They are just busting and flowing everywhere. A fountain of life. If you want to experience God's life in your world, a reverent fear is necessary. Proverbs 22 4 says, True humility and the fear of the Lord leads to riches and honor and a long life. If we want all of these things, we need to understand that it begins with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of God is not us running from him out of fear. That's not what it is. God created us to be in a loving relationship with him. It is this reverence. It's this respect. We need to be in awe of the God of the universe. And when we are, when we have this reverent fear, this leads us to a place of blessing. Love and respect equals fear of God. So... How do you know if you fear God? Here's the, the, the test. You're like, all right, Aaron, I hear you. I get it. How do I know if I fear God? Here's the simplest way to know. When you truly fear God, you'll obey. And this is where I said it would be very easy for this message to come across like legalism, like rules. But I don't want you to hear that. I, w- I want you to understand that, that out of respect for God, out of love for God, We fear him and we obey him when he gives us a directive. The greatest example of this story is Abraham. He was the father of of the Jewish nation. And Abraham had wanted a son for years. He was a very old man. And the spirit of the Lord appeared to him and said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, though you're an old man. And Abraham said, all right. And he waited for decades on God to deliver his promise. Finally, God gave him a son through his wife. And they named him Isaac, and he celebrated that life. A few years go by, and the boy grows strong, and the Spirit of the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, appears to Abraham and says, look, I need you to take your boy up on a hill on this mountain, and I need you to put him on an altar and sacrifice him. Now, that sounds so barbaric, but let me get to the end of the story. Because Abraham, loving and respecting God, Trust God, has a reverent fear, and he obeys. So he takes his son up the mountain. His son even noticed on the way up the mountain, hey, Dad, where's the lamb that we're supposed to sacrifice when we get up here? Shh, don't pay attention to that, son. The Lord will provide. Okay, Dad, sure. No idea 
Abraham fully intentioning to sacrifice his son on an altar to be obedient. The Bible says later of him that he believed that even if he obeyed God, that God would raise him back from the dead. Isn't that crazy? And so he takes the boy up, he binds his hand, builds the altar, lays the boy on the altar, raises his knife to strike him, and an angel stops his hand. And this is what he says to him. Do not lay a hand on the boy. This is Genesis 22. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What demonstrated the fear, that, the fear of God? Obedience. Obedience demonstrated to God that Abraham feared him. So let me say it this way. And this is to rephrase another pastor. He says this. He says, the fear of the Lord is an ongoing attitude of our heart that moves us over and over again to obey God when it would be easier to do something else. When you have this reverent fear of God, when the choice comes for you to do something else, you'll choose that which God has told you to do, even if it's harder. You'll choose to obey because you understand that it's better for your life. When you look at this, this isn't customized Christianity, is it? This isn't us picking and choosing. This is facing some of the hard and difficult things in our life. We don't get to choose this part of the Bible or that. We're fully surrendered, fully committed in our lives to God. When you live a life of reverent fear, it's not about our will, but it's about his will. We say, because I love you, because I respect you, I fear you, so I'll obey you. I'll obey you. Too often today, though, we say, well, I'll serve you, but I'm not going to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Or I'll follow you, but I'm not going to stop watching porn. Don't you understand? This is how I deal with life and the stresses. Or I'll serve you, but I'm not gonna, you're not going to get me to tithe or give any money to, the, to a church or to any kind of good work. All that money is mine. Well, I, I serve you, but I, I'm not going to go on the missions trip to Honduras. Though I feel you calling me to, I, that's just not for me. When we do this, we're saying we believe in God, but that we don't fear him. And sadly, this is modern-day Christianity. It's cussing about it. I'm talking about a loving relationship with God, where he knows you and you know him, where you respect who God is and his position of authority. Though you can't see what's best for you, you trust that what he says is best for you is. And out of reverent fear for him, you joyfully obey him. That's what I'm talking about. Obedience, just so you know, and somebody ought to be tweeting this, obedience starts with relationship, not with rules. Jesus said this in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, understand that's, that's relational. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If there's this relationship in place where you love me and understand the nature of our relationship, then you'll obey. This is not just about a relationship with God that's based on rules. This is about a loving relationship. So now you're sitting there and I got you. You're like, so what, Aaron? I hear you. What do we do? In all of my messages, I like to give a little bit of an application. I want you to be able to take what you've heard, maybe how your heart has been pricked, and respond to it. So what? 
What do I do in response to this? I'll give you two questions that help you understand how to respond to the message today. And they're, they're very similar to ones we've asked before. But what area of your life are you not obeying God? And then the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Once you've identified that, what are you going to do about it? If nothing, then be honest. And say, well, I believe in God, but I don't really fear him. Just be honest with where you're at. But I have a sense that today, some people, God's going to speak to your heart about something. In an area where you know you're not being obedient to him. And as a result, you're going to make a decision. You're going to do something and choose to obey him. Because there may be things in your life you need to change. I feel like maybe, maybe somebody here today who's living with their boyfriend or girlfriend made it, make a decision to move out until you all are married. Or maybe to go ahead and just get married so that you live a life that is honoring to God. Or maybe, maybe you're somebody that's here and you're living with secret sin. And maybe the difficult thing for you to do is to find somebody and confess it to them. The Bible says, James 5, 16, if we can, that we need to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And I understand that's a scary step. Like, man, I don't want to tell them about X, Y, or Z, because what are they going to think of me? It's an act of obedience, confessing our faults to one another, praying for one another so that you can be healed. Some of you are going to decide to do that today. Others of you, maybe you're dating somebody that you know is not best for you, that they don't align with your beliefs and your love of the Father, and you know that they're not going to. And so until that happens, you need to remove them from your life. And so today what you're going to do is call them and say, hey, this is hard. I love you, but we're not really in alignment here. And when you do that, you do that because you believe that God has somebody better for you. That his plans for your future spouse and relationships are better than what you ever had in mind. If you love him, if you believe in him, you respect him, you fear him, you'll, you'll do these things. Others of you, it's not something you need to stop doing. Maybe it's something you need to start doing. God may have put a business, a business idea on your mind or your heart. And you've just kind of been sitting on it. Maybe it's time to start. Others of you, maybe it's, maybe it's time for you to start blogging. Maybe there's an area in your life that, that you love and are passionate about, and God's been talking to you about just starting to blog, and you're like, ah, I don't know how to do it, and you're just using it as an excuse. You have no idea whose life you're meant to touch if you would just obey. Others of you, maybe, maybe you're supposed to start a grow group and lead one, though you don't have all the answers, and you, you don't know the Bible inside and out. Or any other excuse that you could have. Maybe it's your time to start a grow group. Maybe, maybe there's somebody that needs mentoring in your life and God's been nudging your heart to start mentoring them. Maybe, maybe it's time that you start. Or maybe it's time that you start serving on a team here. Or maybe it's time that you go to growth track. God's been nudging you and you're like, I don't know, that pastor, I like to be in there and listen to him. He's funny and I don't really want to go to growth track and miss service. I get it. I understand. But maybe God's been nudging you to go. And you've just kind of been pushing it off. Maybe it's time to start. Why? Why would you do these things? Because you love him. And because you truly respect him, you fear him, and therefore you will obey him. The greatest evidence that you truly fear God is that you obey God. As I close today, I'm going to leave. If you haven't caught any of this message today, I'm going to summarize in a couple sentences. And it's this. 
Obey God. Do the right thing. Even when it would be easier to do something else. In a customized world that wants it all their way, make the choice to reject that and embrace all that God wants and has for you. Because we know he loves us and has the best for us in mind. And we know that he will bless us as we obey. Amen. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for your word. And I know that this is a tough message. I know that this is hitting so many people at home today in their hearts, their lives, their relationships, their finances. It, it's, it, it's, it's putting the squeeze on all of us. But Lord, we thank you for your word because we know that as we allow your word to work in our lives, we know that it transforms us. It changes us into the image of Christ. It makes us obedient, and it promises a life that will spring up like a fountain that will just flow into us. It's your life. Lord, I pray that as we make these decisions, Father, to obey you in whatever area of life it is that we've identified or you've identified for us, that as we take those steps, though they're difficult, especially the relational ones, Lord, as we take those steps, I pray, God, that you would bless us. Lord, that as we honor you, your love would surround us and be with us through those difficult decisions we have to make. They're not all going to be fun. I pray that you would give us the strength, Lord, to be fully surrendered to a life with you where we would love you, respect you, and fear you. As I continue praying today with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are some of you here today and you're hearing about this fear of God and fearing obeying God and you're like, man, that, that's, that's something. Let, let me tell you something. Fearing obeying God begins with loving God. See, I don't expect non-believers to behave like Christians. I just don't and God doesn't expect you to either. He has a plan for you though. He has the best laid out for you though. And he loves you. No matter how far you think you're away from him, he loves you. These respecting and obeying him, though, begins with a relationship. And today, maybe you're here and, and you don't have a relationship with God. So I'm not throwing a bunch of rules at you. I want to start you on a relationship with him. He wants you to know him more than anything. And though you may not know what that journey looks like, that's okay. We're pretty familiar with it here. I like to say that this is a hospital. All of us are in the hospital. Some of us have just been here a little longer than you. And we'd like to help you walk that journey with Christ. We'd like to show you what that looks like. We're not going to cram rules down your throat. We want you to love Jesus. Because we trust that when you love Jesus, you'll respect him, you'll fear him, and ultimately you'll obey him. And that's between you and God. But today, if you want to begin a relationship with God, let me tell you how much he loves you. The Bible tells us that you and I were born sinners, that there was this chasm between us and God that we could not bridge on our own. We had no way of doing enough good in our lives to make payment for our sins in our life, for the selfishness that we live. We had no way to pay it. And God, knowing this in his grace and his mercy, sent his son Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life. And Jesus would come to this earth for 33 years and 
he would lay down his life and die upon a cross. And that when he died, his blood that was shed would be enough payment for all of humanity for all time. The way that you receive this free gift of forgiveness and a closing of the gap between you and God so that you can have a personal relationship with him is through Jesus' gift. The way you receive that is praying a prayer. It begins your journey of learning who God is so that you can love him and respect him, fear him, and ultimately obey him. It begins with confessing your belief that Jesus is the Son of God and asking him to be Lord, meaning he's in charge of your life. And it continues with you learning how to let that play out in your life. The beauty of all this is, is that when we accept Christ, we are adopted into a spiritual family where we are loved and transformed and forgiven. And then on the other side of this life, given eternity in heaven to enjoy God forever that this is a life that you would like to partake of, a full and fulfilled life here on this earth, an eternal life in heaven with God, this is your opportunity. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to make fun of you. In fact, when, whenever we're done praying this prayer, they're all going to celebrate with you because we are looking for you to take this step. We've been praying for you. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you'd like to be counted in on the prayer, nobody's looking around. Would you just slip your hand up now and say, Aaron, that's me. Do it now. Just slide up and say, that's me. Count me in on that prayer. That's me. Today, I want to make that commitment to follow Jesus. I don't know how. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Slide your hand up now. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I would love for all of us to pray it out loud so nobody's praying alone. You can pray pray this with us. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth and died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead three days later. And you did and suffered all of that because you love me. Jesus, I give you my life. Would you give me yours? Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.